Today's radio, and this is going to be episode number 72. And I am joined by uh, Bryce Chig. You're there? I'm here. Evening, Chris. Hello. Uh, yeah, it's evening, but it's very sunny here. Um, and of course, I'm joined by Matt. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing fine. Um, so, this show, we're going to be doing finally our review of Beast the Primordial. And before we get into that, uh, let's cover some what we've been up to, and then we'll go on to White Wolf News. And uh, we do have a secret frequency, which I think should be a good one. So gaming-wise, what's everyone been doing? Uh, Matt? Uh, not much. Uh, unfortunately, games have not materialized around me. I've been mostly doing video gaming and that sort of thing. Okay. And what are you uh, playing video game-wise? Um, the new Doom, which is surprisingly very good. Okay. I was wondering about that. Yeah, it's like, it's very self-aware without being joking about it. Like, it takes its own plot very seriously, but the Doom Marine doesn't. <laughs> like, right. the Doom Marine wants to stop the demon invasion, but the main antagonist is trying to basically exploit hell to get infinite energy to, you know, keep Earth afloat. Right. Like Doomer's like, yes, but could you have thought of a solution that didn't involve summoning demons and sacrificing people? <laughs> Just putting that out there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, cool. Um, and Chick, what have you been doing gaming-wise? I have not been doing anything gaming-wise. Um, I've been spending the past several months on the road for work. So uh, I can't do much of anything. That's painful. Um, for my part, uh, what, what's happened? Um, so the Journeyman League for War Machine Hordes finished at my um, local club. So I did pretty well in that, considering I didn't turn up to every single session. Um so I came a good fourth, I think, based on points on painting and and winning stuff. Um, and I am I've just written up last night everyone's character sheets for Geist. So there's a few um, there's a few little bits that need to be finished off, but that should be starting in I know a couple of weeks time. Uh, and then, obviously, Kingdom Death. I've got, like, three more hunts, and that's the game over. If I can make it to the, the end game, which I should, my population isn't going to die in the space of that many fights. I don't think so, anyway. Um, that would be terrible if it happened that way. And uh, let's see. And, of course, myself and James will be heading to the UK Game Expo uh, next Saturday, so that'll be good fun. Because uh, we have press pass, so we get to go in for free, and we can go talk mm. to people. Uh, like Andy Chambers and uh, other people that make some really interesting games. So I think we'll look at like the Dark Souls board game, which was recently um, funded on Kickstarter by Steamforged Games, who make Guild Ball. Um, 
And, oh, there's a whole load of other things and some RPGs, so like Dust Adventures. I finally read the review copy I had of that. I need to write a review of it. It's okay. It's uh, it's quite a thin RPG, but also interesting about that, because it's uh, Modifius who make it, they've done a crossover book, so you can take their Achtung Cthulhu RPG and cross it over with Dust. So you can have the Dust setting, which has the alien tech kind of walker battle suits in this alternate weird world war 1947 and inject a bit of Cthulhu mythos into it so that's kind of kind of fun they've um that uh they were allowed to do that uh and that's been about it um so other than gaming news uh well gaming wise what we've been up to we should talk about white wolf news So, um, Mage the Awakening 2nd Edition is out. Uh, I've not read it yet. Uh, it's in pre-release uh, PDF mode, so it's not yet uh, on print-on-demand, because obviously they're going to catch all the errata. Uh, yeah, mostly the next thing, big thing that I'll read and um, we can do a review of. Dark Heroes is now on print-on-demand. Uh, the pack is out for for uh, Forsaken. Matt, have you had a look at the pack? No, I have not. Okay. Um, so that should be fun to look at because that's about, apparently more about how the Forsaken make packs, not just with their own kind and with their their wolf-blooded kinfolk, but also how they create packs with other supernatural entities within the World of Darkness, which I think should be a really good uh, read. Um, well, to a certain point, uh, when we get to talking about our review, anyway. Um, the Black Hand Guide to the Tamahera is out as well. Is that on POD? I can't remember, but I know it's out on PDF, so that's a release that's out. Um, and then at Gen Con, quite a number of the Onyx Path writers will be on a number of panels, including the Industry Insider. So that's Eddie Webb and Monica uh, Valentinelli. Um, Obviously, big names that have written on everything like Vampire the Requiem and, and so forth and other games uh, for Onyx Path. Uh, obviously, that in industry insider caused a whole load of headache for people because apparently it was too diverse and, oh, shock, horror, you know, feminism, whatever. But, you know, it's it's been well overdue to have the industry insider um, be more, more diverse in its representation of uh, freelancers. Um... And I think that's basically it for White Wolf news. There's not much else out, nothing much that I know from White Wolf itself. Um, no more news on any LARP stuff. Uh, and not much more that I know from Onyx Path, because any other releases have been things like Exalted or Pugmire. So I think we should then move on to our main segment, which is for Chronicles of Darkness. So, as we mentioned um, for our episode today, uh, we are reviewing Beast the Primordial, which is the 
most recent uh, game line for Chronicles of Darkness. It is already out to backers. It's out so you can buy it. You can get it on POD. Uh, the uh, you know the Kickstarter. Um, uh, whichever version, I can't remember what they call the type of book, you know, the the prestige edition, whatever, traditional print run book is in printing already uh, or it's going to print and um, Matt, you've read this a lot more than I even have, so it presents itself as a storytelling game of endless hunger and as a beast, you are playing a person that has within them a soul of some ancient, well, I won't say ancient, but some uh, primordial, primordial horror. horror monster that fits some of the classic archetypes of things like the Gorgons, a dragon, a griffin, um, Cyclops, Cyclops, the Kraken, Leviathan, all those creatures which are very... They don't really. F they could fit into one of the already existing game lines quite easily, um, but they somehow have picked out the more mythological kind of monsters, the really big mythological monsters, and use them as the basis of this game. So, Matt, do you want to continue the introduction and give us the basic overview of what the game is meant to be about before we start going into? Uh, into the game in more detail. All right. Well, the basic premise of Beast the Primordial is, like he said, your soul has been replaced by a horror, something from man's primordial unconscious where all of our nightmares and fears live has come to you in your dreams and consumed your soul. And now you have to continue feeding it the horror and fear of other people, otherwise it will go out on its own and do that, usually to the people close to you, indiscriminately. And there's different kinds of things you can hunger for, that your horror can hunger for. You can hunger for power over other people. You can hunger for things like, you know, the archetypical dragon sitting atop its horde. You can hunger for prey, like hunting people down, um, hunting animals down. You can hunger for revenge against people who have broken rules, either yours or that of society. And you can hunger for just general destruction, ripping things apart, destroying buildings, etc. Um, the Their antagonists in this are heroes, who are people who can also sense the primordial dream but rather than seeing, you know, horrors and nightmares and having their souls replaced, they can instead see the effect that beasts are having on the dream, and they try to stop them. Which, you know, on its own, just from that high-level perspective, that's not a bad game. The problem is, is that that's not where it stops. Yeah. Okay, so the game is trying to invert the classic... Uh, balance between uh, a monster and its hunter and uh, draws upon ideas of like the beasts that Hercules obviously uh, fought against in all of his uh, legendary exploits or say the, uh, the the conflict between the beast and Gaston in Beauty and the Beast you know, that kind of, that Gaston is is 
hunting the beast is wanting to be the hero, but obviously is not a very nice person. And the beast as well, because he's beastly, is not very nice, but for very different reasons. They, they, they have their issues, and there's, a, there's this balance between them that has to be addressed. Um, so, I mean, Matt, where do you want to begin with this? Because there's a lot, there's a lot to cover. Um, so, w let's start off, off with the things that I think that stick out quite interesting. Let, so, let's talk about the primordial dream and what that's meant to, and why beasts are attached to it, and and what that what the, the primordial dream's relationship is to humanity. Because then I think that 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 gives us more of a basis for where beasts then fit into things. Well, according to the book, which, you know, it's kind of dumb, but the idea set forth by the book was back when we humanity was young and living in very small hunter-gatherer tribes, you know, someone would, like before the advent of language even, someone yeah. would see a monster in the darkness and they would not be able to express to a person, you know, there is something in the darkness, it will eat you. So this kind of gestalt consciousness existed between humanity where like one person would see something and that fear would translate to another person and that is how humanity survived was through these fears that just kind of became a part of humanity through the primordial dream but as humanity grew too numerous you know the old old world of darkness stick Oh no, we grew too big. Now bad things happen. Now people can't hear the primordial dream. We no longer recognize these these horrors and these fears. And so what happened was some people who could still dream deep is the term they use into the primordial dream had their souls devoured so that the hungers could be brought closer to our world and these fears could be propagated through humanity again. Yeah. So it's meant to be the fear of... Problem I have... I was going to say, so Go it's ahead. meant to be... They're meant, the primordial dream is meant to somehow exchange between the gestalt, you know, shared dream, which, I mean, that's kind of related to some of the things that's in Changeling and 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 uh, Mage, especially Mage. Um, so they're sharing the the idea of... A conceptual idea of things that they should fear, and those could be other supernatural creatures as well, or 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 even just normal creatures that they should obviously fear. So I guess fear, if the natural fear of when these ancient hunter-gatherers say came into contact with um, a saber-toothed tiger or something, that fear of it in the primordial dream would eventually come together as some sort of conceptual fear that they then know is like the chimera or some of a or the 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 lion beast that hercules fought against is that the basic would you say a good idea way of explaining that yes okay good and again in and of itself that's not a bad concept how they actually go about teaching these lessons and they do so by scaring the shit out of people and in not very subtle ways, because the only real tool that beasts have at their disposal are fear and nightmares. Yeah. And that's not really going to be useful for getting around, getting about more subtle concepts like, you know, how to do a pivot table in Excel or how to 
do a programming language or how to drive a car. Like, they could, you know, do a nightmare about you getting in a car crash and be like, you need to learn to drive a car, otherwise you're going to, you know, die horribly in a wreck. But that all that does is, like, the motivation for them to go out and do something else. And, like, and beasts do that by terrorizing people. Like, they are fueled by people lose, like, being horrified so much they lose integrity. Mm. Like, they're actively making people, you know, less confident, more terrible. Like, in- integrity isn't morality, yeah. but low-integrity people are usually less well put together, less sure of themselves, more likely to do bad things because they don't have that kind of conscious moral fiber going through them, that kind yeah. of thing. And... Like, so beasts are, like, they're imparting these lessons, and they're making people worse, and they don't really need to impart the lessons anyway, because the book admits as much that parents and schools now say, you know, don't put your hand on the stove, don't approach wild animals, things like that. Like, those kinds of lessons aren't necessary in our society anymore, but beasts do it anyway, because that's what they do. Yeah, I would say the the example lessons in the book are all come across as very shallow and petty. Like some are like trying to say something that you should you to, to warn a person about toxic relationships maybe with within their own family or, or with or, or something like that. But I'm more surprised that the lessons that that the example lessons weren't say the beasts showing that Humanity has forgotten that the other monst- the the other monsters are out there, and that they should fear them. So, you know, it would have made more sense if the beasts were preying on the fears that humans should have about, you know, vampires and werewolves and and those things, because those creatures are in the world of darkness. They are in hidden societies, and they are still plaguing humanity in to a certain degree. That would have been more interesting, but we don't get that. Well, predators sort of do that, but the book never actually calls them out on doing that. Right. And the other issue that I have is that, again, all these like these teachings of lessons and things like that was added very late in Beast's development cycle. They were added yes. as a response to complaints earlier in the cycle that Beast, like before all this, Beast didn't impart lessons. Beast just existed. They were from the Primordial Dream. They fed by terrorizing people, and that's it. Like, yeah. beasts just did that. That's what beasts did. And now there's this very shallow justification in the book about how beasts, like, as a society, even though they don't really have a society, decided that they need to teach people lessons because if they don't teach lessons, then they're just monsters. And it's like, no, because you are monsters. Yeah. That's kind of a, a very meta thing about the game, though, right? Because that was the initial complaint. If they don't have anything to do, then why do they exist? So they said, oh, well, they, they teach lessons because otherwise they have no reason. Right. No, there's a lot of... there's That's a big problem with this game is there's a lot of things that diegetically make no sense. Like, there's no reason for beasts to do this except for the fact that this was a complaint in the Kickstarter copy, and therefore this mm-hmm. has to be true. Like, the book says this is true with no justification for why it's true. Because no explanation for why this happens. It's just the way it is, because it has to be that way. Otherwise, the Kickstarter, otherwise, 
the game has no reason to exist. And if you have to add things like that and not even provide a baseline explanation for why they exist, then that shows a problem with the game. It reminds me, um, in kind of a sideways way, of uh, the old World of Darkness, or classic World of Darkness, or whatever it's called this week, Changeling, the Dreaming. Um, because these are these are creatures from an earlier time. Their, their time is very, very clearly drawing to a close, but for some reason, I mean, aside from just, you know, self-preservation, uh, they're, they're still holding on and looking for some way to survive in the, uh, the modern world. Yeah. Did anybody else get uh, get that, or is that just me no, reading, that, reading my favorite game line into everything? I think, I think a lot of people have made the comparison between Beast and Changeling Old. Dreaming. Oh. Um, that kind of makes me scared for the uh, Changeling 20th edition, to be honest with you. Well, uh, we'll, we'll just say briefly, Changeling 20th edition, I don't think you have to be scared in the way that it's going to be that that it's not going to be modernized because isn't changing 20th anniversary meant to be the the revised edition it never had? Yes, so, it is. But I'm, so that, I'm more concerned about the uh, the storyline and the themes. Than, oh well. Uh, more. Anyway, um, just, back so, to our review. So the the teaching of lessons seems slapped on. Though apparently, did they say that the teaching of lessons comes from the Dark Mother? Um, no, the Dark Mother doesn't give two shits about lessons. Good, the, Dark okay, Mother, the Dark Mother just wants terror and horror to exist because that's what the Dark Mother... Okay, we should probably go over what that is. The Dark yes. Mother <laughs> is the, supposedly the ancestral progenitor of all horrors and therefore all beasts. She, No one knows what she is, no one knows why she exists, but she does. And sometimes she is the one who initiates a beast's devouring when their horror consumes their soul, supposedly. But the Dark Mother is just a thing that may or may not exist, probably exists, and is supposedly the progenitor of all horrors, all nightmares, and all supernatural creatures. So, so far, I would say that, along with the lessons, it's all just a shared kind of... Um, it's all kind of a shared mythology that helps beasts reconcile why they even exist in the world that doesn't need them anymore. Right, and... But the problem is, is that the idea of them needing to teach lessons is completely at odds with every single example character given in the book. Yeah. Every okay. single one. Like, I could just pick one at random and decide and just read it from you. Because, Bryce, you haven't read the book, right? Um, I have uh, not read the entirety of the book, no. Okay, so let me I just did begin reading. Shall we get to the examples once we've gone through some of the other introductory bits? Because I think then a lot of the examples will will look will be framed better, maybe. Sure. Okay, so okay, so let's talk about the horror. Okay, because we've talked about the horror is devours a person's soul. So the horror is this um, is a, is this creature that exists in the primordial dream. It likes going into people's nightmares and terrorizing them and feeding on their fears that way. Um, and that's about it. And, and the, the act of a horror eating someone's soul is known as the devouring, or at least it's known as the devouring now. It wasn't always known as that when the, in the initial version. Okay, that's another thing. Okay. When the first Kickstarter drafts went out, 
beasts were not made, they were born. Like, you were yeah. born a beast, but you had some, like, a placeholder human soul in you. Yeah. And at some point, your horror found your soul. It's your beast soul. It wasn't called a horror then. It was your soul had the homecoming where it came, ate the, you know, soul that was in its place, and you became whole. The idea of an adolescent revenge fantasy having the uh, part where you come to power known as the homecoming strikes me as kind of hilarious in hindsight. Because the nerdy beast that, you know, was always picked on by the jocks never had a homecoming, but now they do. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we can continue on from that, because the devouring, as it's explained... As you as you said, now is you know a beast isn't born a beast, and they you know but they are still as a human they are still somewhat different because they have a connection to a, a greater or lesser degree to the primordial dream in that they they dream deep and they wake up with with sweating from their nightmares but they seem wiser for it whatever that wisdom that's been imparted is. And they then either have a devouring that occurs just spontaneously, or... A horror, a horror just ascends from the dream and consumes them because they dream deep and have attracted the attention. Yeah. Or another beast finds them, notices them, and devours their soul, and that causes a horror to spontaneously generate and take its place. Yeah. And the thing that's kind of weird is that also later in the book when it talks more about the devouring, it also says that for some of the beasts, this is like a homecoming. So while they got rid of the concept of the homecoming, they still sneak it back in. Right. And as you mentioned, only a specific kind of person can become a beast. And the book goes into great length that this specific kind of person is always picked on in high school, is always seen as different, and is always never quite fit in, just the same way that old beasts weren't doing that sort of thing. Yeah. So either you were bullied, you were abused, you had problems with your family because you didn't fit in with your, your mortal family, or you were neglected by society in some manner, or all manner of ways in which you feel you as a person were slighted. Whether just whether whether you were slighted um, because you were, or because I mean, is there not a danger that a beast could be slighted and they weren't? Do you think? I don't know whether it even suggests that a beast could just be, well, you know, you know, could a person not want not have have strong connections with other people because they're not a nice person, even though they're a beast? Well, no. The be. thing is, is that it doesn't really even bother going into that kind of detail because you, that was the person you were before and that person doesn't matter. It's yeah. just that since you have this connection to the primordial dream, you have these really deep nightmares You that you, they color your perceptions on things and occasionally you have dreams about other people and you think like, oh, Jimmy's, Jilly's in an abusive relationship. I have to tell her that her boyfriend is a terrible person and she needs to break up with him. And that distances themselves from people like, why don't people understand that I'm trying to help them when I meddle in their lives? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. 
so that's the devouring <laughs> we've got into and then the the as we said the the horror exists in the uh, in the primordial dream and the primordial dream is that means where the beast where the the, uh, the horror is it has a lair and this lair is is where it's essentially the seat of of the of the beast's soul uh, in this other realm and it's made up of a number of chambers and as these chambers increase in number they and as they increase in that represents an increase in the beast's power it represents their personality and experiences and these chambers are also added to added by uh, connecting to places in the real world where something supernatural where some supernatural terror occurred specifically a place where a mortal human has lost a point of integrity yeah that that shock of a soul being destroyed is what creates chambers in the primordial dream the fact that beasts use these moments to gain more power should tell you everything you need to know about them yet somehow mm -hmm. it doesn't that's almost like a beast is i mean when it says those those locations where integrity is lost and something horrible has happened that's quite that's quite similar to um uh what are they called in werewolf the forsaken the 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 uh, places where there's you know negative psychological resonance that's caused in the spirit realm blight um, blight is one yeah and and things like that i mean Essentially, a beast is also looking for places that are brimming with uh, with with places that are brimming with spirits of of terror and fear. But we'll get to that later. Well, about the thing how... is that beasts don't really interact with spirits directly, unless no. they are like beast never acknowledges really that that sort of thing happens. It doesn't really care about it that much. It cares about dreams and astral forms a whole bunch, but doesn't really interact with spirits because beasts don't go into the umbra or the yeah. shadow or whatever. The hissel, yeah. Um, okay, is there anything more to say about layers? Um, well, one thing that beasts can do is that layers have traits, like things that describe bits of the beast's preferred home, like the dark, like. And these are traits that can be added to scenes, like tags. So they've got like the darkness trait, the cramp, darkness, cramped, um, rushing water, um, hot, literally on fire, things like that. Yeah. And these can use their ability to, they can pull parts of their lair into the real world, depending on like how closely it resembles. Like, Basically, there is no reason why any beast should not have darkness as a lair trait, because making someplace dark is super easy to do, and then you can tag that to bring your entire lair in. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so they have, so we've got beasts have have these horrors that exist in them uh, that are tied to the primordial dream, and that the lair is a measure of the uh, the horror's power, but also beasts have uh, a drive to feed on fear and terror and that is the hunger now there's again in the book it presents different things that beasts can hunger for and this then colors the type of terrors and nightmares they create um you want to talk about that anymore matt because they I, they're a bit uh, i don't know they 
they can sometimes be overly specific and sometimes not very specific, the examples right. they like give. That's the, that is a problem that I noticed is that you, you think you went over, you didn't go over with horrors, that there are different kinds of horrors. Oh, yeah, of course, like, yes. There's There are the Anakim, which are giants, like things like the Cyclops or just anything huge, and they represent the fear of powerlessness, like the idea that you are not the strongest person, there is someone that is stronger than you. Then you have the um, Esh the Eshmaki, yes, who are the fear of something in the darkness that you can't see. Like yes. they tend to be um, things like like the, the idea of there is a monster in the dark and I can't see it. Their types of horrors tend to be rather indistinct creatures or shadowy predator like shadowy predators, wolves, those kinds of things. Yeah, night and night terrors, you know, the classic, you know, something sat on your chest. Yeah. Right. Okay. Then there's the Makara, which are nightmares are my in the favorites. <laughs> yeah, like drought like browning, things like that. But they're like the Krakens who live deep in, in the deep. They are cilia. They are um the whale Sirens. from Jonah the whale. Yeah. They're sirens, yeah. Um, okay. Then you have the Namtaru, which are the nightmares of revulsion. They're the swarm of bugs, they're Medusa, they're anything that is ugly and you don't like. Which, to say that ugliness is terrifying is kind of a moral judgment and also not something you probably want to put into a game <laughs> but I, I would say yeah ugliness is a bit is a bit weird as a as a term that i think it should definitely have just been revulsion of things that are kind of like an unnatural un, un revulsion or or revulsion in, to do with like yeah. you know of of the 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 person the person that's made of maggots or you know that weird sensation that people can have when they look at um you know heck uh, um beehives because uh, all the hexans are that, that there's that a phobia of looking at that um, right and stuff like that that would make more sense put in ugly seems really like oh you're scared of ugly people Where okay else? just just to be the devil's advocate here because someone has to I guess um no. No one in has the old to. world of darkness, Nosferatu have an, have an appearance of zero. They are the ugly vampires. That is their. Right, that is but... that is part of their shtick. And that's the only thing they have. That, and there's a reason why we don't have those Nosferatos in, uh, in Nosferatu and Requiem as a default I'm anymore. I'm just saying they still make Vampire the Masquerade. Nosferatu well, are still the ugly maybe guys. They need to, maybe they need to not make Vampire the Masquerade anymore. And Vampire Ooh. the Masquerade still has. Still has Ravnos, which are the evil gypsy stealing vampires. This and of the Apocalypse still has the Fianna, which are the drunken Irish vampires, and the magical and the magical Native American werewolves, now in three different flavors. I yes. think they're all magical Native American werewolves if you get right down to it. Anyways, <laughs> the, the final I'm just of... saying there's historic precedent for this. <laughs> of being edgelords, yeah. Um anyway. The um yeah go on Matt. The the final type of horror is the ugalu, which are nightmares of exposure, both literal and figurative. Like the idea of being caught with your deepest darkest secrets revealed, or 
dying out somewhere cold and alone without food or water. Mm. They are the flying creatures. They are dragons, um, large raptors, anything that would attack you from above. Being eclipsed by a large shadow and dying not seeing what happened to you, those are the Ugalu. Yes. Now, the problem is that we get into the various hungers. And we have the tyrants, which have a hunger for power. Why aren't they just the Anakim? Like, that's the thing. Like, the hunger for power is basically just the Anakim, except anybody can have a hunger for power. Then you have the hunger for prey, the predators. Why aren't those the Eshmaki? You have because sometimes a giant wants to eat some dude. Come right, on, man. I know, but the the problem is that the hungers don't actually give you any kind of mechanical benefit or penalty. All the hungers do is color what kind of feeding you should do. But then you get into the feeding chapters, and that gets even more specific about what you're supposed to do. And it gets really kind of confusing and redundant yeah. about what you're actually supposed to be doing with the characters in the game. So, as I said, so we've got tyrants, which are the hunger for power. And... Collectors, which are hunger for the horde. Yeah. Um, predators, which are the hunger for prey. Um, then you have nemeses, nemeses which are the hungers yeah. for punishment. And the ravagers, which are hunger for ruin and destruction. Yeah. And as you said, like when you read through these, there is in that section there is no uh, mechanical benefit or anything. It's all it's all flavor, and uh, the hungers provide flavor. You say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it just it just and it gives you examples of the lessons that they they prefer to teach. Well, no, like this is well, yeah, like the lessons were added late and they're kind of really shallow. Yeah. Like, for example, the hunger for punishment is like, these lessons are self-evident, as these guys punish people for breaking laws. That should be a lesson in and of itself. And it's like, really? Okay. And, like, the the Predator lessons are, they teach mortality. Like, congratulations, game. I don't think people forget that they're going to die. Mm. It's a lesson that they really only need to learn that one time. Well, so, and that's I mean... another thing, is that the game goes over, is that... There's a lot of beasts who it's like, you know, oh, well, you accidentally killed someone. But if you leave their corpse somewhere public, someone will someone will learn a lesson, and that's okay. Yeah. And also, yeah, Ravager's hunger for ruin, life is chaos, death strikes at any moment. I think, I think you only have to look at the modern world to know life is chaos. Um, this is also where we have the example characters, though. Oh, right, yeah, okay. Go on, then. <laughs> All right. Bryce, just tell me if you think that this is a pretty a compelling character. <clears throat> Reynold is a health inf- inspector for the city. Most of the time, he does his job without complaint, but sometimes please he finds... Please tell me he turns into a pile of maggots. Please, please, please. <laughs> it doesn't even tell you that. Ah. But sometimes he finds the places where horrible things have happened and left stains. Then he finds those responsible and makes them clean up their mess. Human offenders are simple. Supernatural ones take a different kind of approach. Reynold doesn't mind the work. He doesn't judge others for making the mess, just leaving the stains behind. <sighs> There's really not a lot there to go by. How exactly does he 
call, how exactly what exactly does he do to make them clean up the mess? It does no. Oh, he doesn't say. Here's another one. I get one. that. I get that. I get that. that that's everything there. What I'm saying is there's nothing. There, there's no there there. You know, there's there, there's like you know the barest hint of an outline of a character thought of an idea, but then there's no follow through. Here's another one. Ari drives a cab. He goes to the parts of the city where the other cabbies won't. He knows every bit of the city, the poor neighborhoods where everyone looks out for each other, and the rich neighborhoods where everyone's a stranger. When he feels his hunger, he picks someone up and drops them off in a place the person's never seen before, a place where just walking down the street will get him arrested or jumped. He never lets anyone die. He just wants each little fish to know, fish to know how far from its home pond it has strayed. Hmm. That is slightly more compelling a character than the first one. Um, there's also the assistant principal who scares people with a pet scorpion. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's the guy who got his MBA and is trying to become the the top get the top floor at his at his office. That's literally his entire motivation. Somehow he feeds from that. Doesn't that just seem rather pointless for a, for for a, uh, an entity that doesn't have a human soul anymore? That he cares about something as petty as what well, as, as something so human. Um, anyway. I was going to say that that sounds very uh, fitting for someone without a human soul. <laughs> oh no! Here's another one. Most collectors hide their riches away from the world. Not Nigel. He he takes quote unquote acquires if anyone asks heirlooms, antique clothing, and items of historical significance, and then he defiles them. He smears them with he smears the hand stitched clothing with blood and shit, and carves deep uneven furrows in the furniture. Then puts them all on display by the side of the road under a banner that reads "Sick Transit Gloria Mundi." Yeah, the, the the collector is one that I really just cannot get my head around at all. So your your the way that you the way that you teach lessons is you hoard stuff, you you take things, you, you hold on to it. You take things that other people want, and therefore teach them that they shouldn't want those things. It's the dumbest thing I've heard in a while, and this is there's there's a lot of dumb things here to go over, but that's a really dumb one. No, there's. One of the ones that really, really pisses me off is this one right here. Patrick and Ahmed are a Makara collector and a Makara nemesis, respectively, who fell in love. Patrick placed his treasures at the bottom of Ahmed's lake, and Ahmed resolved to punish all those who would dare to steal his lover's hoard. People come to the lake almost every week, looking to dive down and take the abandoned treasure. Of course, Patrick makes sure to spread the rumors about the treasure. That way, people come looking, and his lover gets to punish them. So they're Why is it not just up... one dude? What? Why is it not just one dude? Why is it not just one person? Why is, this, they... why is this a tag team? Because they're gay. Okay, I get that. I get that they're you know being inclusive there. I, I, under... I, I got that part. But the part is, how is that not just the job of one of the beasts? And the I hoard stuff, and if someone like... comes to take it away from me, I eat them. How is that not one dude's job? The thing that really annoys me about this is that they're punishing people for crimes that they would not normally do had they not been convinced to do them by the other person. Yeah, they're the FBI. I get it. Uh. Hmm. But yeah, it's like that's the thing. Is like all of the example characters here are really petty, and they don't teach lessons because these were basically all written before they even thought of lessons, and few, if any of them, have had any editing whatsoever. This was back when Beasts just 
killed people and made their lives miserable because they existed and that was okay. Yeah. I think that's Do you think the, that would have been a better game? It would have at least been honest to itself. I think that's the, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Is like, that... Go on, man. I, I, well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again now that we're being now we're recording, is that if Beast owned up to itself, if Beast owned up to their monstrosity and didn't care, it would have been a much better game. Like, the idea of, I'm a monster, you know, you don't have to like it, but I don't have to care that you don't like it, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if someone tries to kill me, you know... So what? I'll kill them. I'm not going to moralize about it. Because yeah. I don't have morals. But this game moralizes about it a whole bunch. Let's talk about heroes. Uh, I was about yeah. to say, do you not, would that not have invalidated the concept of heroes? Well, see, that's the problem with the game, is that in the original Kickstarter copy, heroes didn't start out the way they started out. The idea was that... um. Each and every hero had been touched by a beast in some way. Either by a beast refusing to feed and their horror went out and, you know, created a hero for them to fight to force the beast to feed, or a beast did something really, really terrible to somebody and turned them into a hero when they survived. And the idea is, is that all heroes have low integrity. Like, they have to have an integrity of three or less. And according to the game, that makes them horrible people. But as several people pointed out, when you are turned into a horrible person because a beast fucked with your life repeatedly to the point that your integrity went down to three, that's not really your fault. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a sympathetic character. Yeah. We can't have that. So... Beasts were revised in the new version. Now, heroes were revised in the new version. Now, heroes just exist. Like, they are born with a very broad understanding of the primordial dream. And they can see the scars that beasts leave on it. And that makes heroes jealous, because people should be talking about how great he is. So they go out and they kill beasts and try to make everybody talk about how great they are. Yeah, I mean, there's there was only a real the only real nugget in anything to do with the hero beast relationship was everything to do with when apparently in ancient times you know you had the the beast the beasts were teaching some primordial you know primal lesson that's actually more important than any of the shit we've read, and then the wise men would come along and help the community understand that lesson and it says that but then what we get is we don't really get any nuance about why that's being forgotten and all we get is these are heroes they're evil because they come along and try and stamp on your fun as a beast oh but except for the ones that have got high integrity and yes we're not allowed those in the game yeah the game simply says that there are heroes who have high integrity those, hero, those heroes are not interesting characters because they acknowledge that beasts serve a purpose and don't interfere in their lives. Therefore, do not make high-integrity heroes. Even though it says beasts serve a purpose, even though the purpose that beasts serve is, uh, is, is superfluous anachronistic. and anachronistic, and, and is also, in many respects, beasts is beast society trying to give an excuse for why beasts exist. No, in the and, world today. 
And this is one of those times where there seems to be a rule written so that the game can exist and isn't really diegetically justified within the game itself. Because you know how I said earlier that integrity can be lost for any reason? Yeah. This is what the book says. <laughs> it it is possible to lose integrity from exposure to the supernatural, but this by itself doesn't usually reduce the trait low enough to qualify a person for becoming a hero. Thematically, too, it's not appropriate for someone whose only crime was bearing witness to the supernatural to go out and become a violent narcissist. If such a character is going to go out and seek the supernatural, it should probably be in a different context than strapping on a sword and a gun. Since heroes are storyteller-controlled characters, you as a storyteller dictate why the hero is the way he is. So make choices that allow the hero to, to fulfill the appropriate role in the story. If the hero is a sympathetic character, driven to hunt monsters by the relentless attacks of the supernatural, then you might be better served by checking out Hunter the Vigil, and perhaps using the beasts as antagonists. If, however, the hero has deliberately shunned other people, defining himself by what he is not and what he is hates and the wrongs done to him, that's a perfect candidate for a hero. The line is thin, and that's deliberate. No, the line is not thin. You just specifically stated heroes should not be sympathetic in any way. Which is like the worst type of villain ever, other than trying to... The only time you don't want uh, your antagonist to be unsympathetic is if the antagonists are so alien that you as players, playing people that are meant to be somewhat human to lesser or greater degree, cannot even begin to understand the reasoning for why this entity is doing what it's doing. You know, that, to me, is the only time when you can't sympathize with something and it should be presented as such. But for a hero, it's still human, so trying to say it's not sympathetic is ridiculous. Well, and they're more human than beasts because they still have the integrity stat. And they still have a human soul. Right. Can we talk and, about the example hunters, or, or heroes, rather, in the book and how ridiculous give, they are? Give me, give me a second. I want to finish something. Okay. Oh my god, they're so ridiculous. I know they are, but let me finish, please. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I skip I'm ahead. just going to say, the idea that, like, when Beast came out, the, the way that heroes were presented, like, not the example heroes, because as Bryce said, they are terrible, but the way that these heroes were presented were great. Like, the idea that they are the example of everything that is wrong with beasts, and that beasts still have to kill heroes, but it's not the hero's fault. Like, the idea of that sympathetic protagonist was the one part of the game that most people genuinely liked. It, but if your game can't survive having a sympathetic antagonist because of how terrible your protagonists are, then your game doesn't need to exist. Or you need to just admit that you are playing the bad guys. Yeah. Okay. So, which page are all the be sorry, are the hero examples on? Um, it's two hundred and something. Um, is it? I'll go to the index. Two sixteen. Two sixteen. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Uh, okay. So let's briefly talk about the hero examples, and then we're trying to move on to another. Never, well, uh... let's skip the first one because the first one wasn't in the original Kickstarter copy. And he's kind of boring. Well. The first example character, I guess, is an ex-Navy SEAL that retired and 
kept having nightmares about beasts and reluctantly rejoined the fight to try and protect other people. Like, the idea, like, he isn't really presented in the way that the heroes in the book are supposed to be. Like, he doesn't sound like he's really egotistical. Also, he has the highest, I believe, integrity of any of them. Yes. He's yeah, he actually five. has an integrity of five, which isn't supposed to be possible. Yeah, so yeah, he's he is the he is the character who should have been in uh, Hunter the Vigil. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, going to say he's Hunter the Vigil, basically. Yeah. Okay. And then we have then we have the uh, the Milady. Yes, Thaddeus Pearson. His character quote is: "Never fear, Milady. I've come to kill this foul beast." Literally, he is the <laughs> Milady. He only needs a trilby in his in his uh, picture to be perfect. Um, <laughs> description: Thaddeus is a tall, skinny man in his mid thirties, clean shaven, with pale skin and neatly cut hair. During Not office, a Thaddeus. Yeah, wearing office hours, he wears business casual polo shirts and slacks, and is completely unremarkable. While out hunting monsters, he wears a poorly fitted trench coat and a black trilby hat. There it Yay. is! <laughs> Thaddeus uh, considers himself a modern gentleman and speaks with an unnecessarily verbose vocabulary dotted with chivalric language he's mostly picked up from fantasy movies and novels. Uh, uh, so much garbage wish fulfillment. And it gets even better because... Uh, where is it? Ah, Coming from a middle-class suburban home, he was told all through his childhood that he was special. When the real world failed to reinforce this, he retreated into whatever fiction he could find that said that bookish kids like him would eventually inherit the Earth. Uh, once it became clear to Thaddeus that he was destined to work a mediocre job for the rest of his life, the resentment started. He'd been promised so much more than this. Vast riches, adoring fans, and a beautiful wife who would fawn over his genius. And then he, his soul was eaten by a uh, primordial beast, and he no, became he a collector. Oh, wait, no, he's the bad guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, he, he's just a terrible person. He's an MRA incel who yeah. is mad that women won't sleep with him, and so he goes out and kills beasts. Yeah. I'm just going to let that hang there for a moment. This is supposed to be the antagonist of the game. Can we move on to the church lady now? Yeah. Um, the next character is Marion Jones, who is just a stay-at-home mother who is really religious and thinks that her son was taken in by the devil's music and actually he turned into a beast, but she killed him. And now she looks out for other people who have fallen into quote-unquote sins. I bet he also them. played that D&Ds. Oh, Yeah. yeah. So all the all the uh, the hero examples, except for maybe that first one, are wish fulfillment characters, well, no, right? They're wish fulfillment bad guys. Well, no, and that's that. The other problem, the last one is fine, but the problem is, is that she was sympathetic, and that could not stand. When okay, this character is it's a oh yeah <laughs> a teenage girl named Melody who has been trapped in a coma for the past two years because at some point a horror entered her dream to feed. And rather than just, you know, cowering like a good little girl, who and good humans are supposed to, just take it from the beasts, she fought back. She chased the monster to its lair and killed it. But now she's trapped in the primordial dream, and she can't get back to her body. Well, so she's basically hunting monsters in the dream, 
trying to be, get back to the real world so she can live again. Let's just let's just pause a minute and say that's freaking awesome. Because it's yeah, a really a, awesome character concept. This is the best one. She's an enemy that exists purely within the dream realm, and if the only way to kill her is to kill her physical form or her in the dream realm, well, you can't kill her in the dream realm because she's mostly shit hot powerful because she's been there for so long. Whereas you, know, you could ask, do I want to kill this this well this person in a coma? You're like, it's such a wonderful moral quandary when the the reason why she's chasing beasts is because it's a, a, a nightmare horror that goes around terrorizing peoples in their dreams, and she's there to, to stop it. She's brilliant. Right. And everybody said, wow, this is a great character. More heroes should be like this. That could not stand. People on the forums caught wind that people actually liked Melanie, and they started doxing her. Quote, Actually, someone else pointed out that really, really interesting for Melanie's stat blocks. First of all, she has Integrity 3. That doesn't mean anything by itself, but then look at her social skills. We get Empathy, Finding Insecurities. Her character write-up doesn't say that, but from that it sounds like a whole hell of a lot that she was the sort of bully you'd expect to become a hero. That doesn't mean she deserves what happened to her, but it suggests that, yeah, she's probably she probably was a horrible person before she became a hero. So she had it coming. Yes. Great. She also has the substitute specialty, putting on a brave face, which shades the possibilities of her unrevealed history, including the finding insecurity specialty in Integrity 3. Also, all the beasts she killed had nothing to do with what happened to her. A good person wouldn't kill them. Uh, hold on. The She's not killing beasts, she's killing horrors. So she doesn't see their mortal form, generally, right? She's, right. She's hunting the nightmare creatures that are invading other people's dreams. You ever think the reason she's got Integrity 3 is because she, her integrity is being eroded, her sanity is being eroded, because she's being cut off from her... Clearly that cannot be the case, because it says earlier in the book that that cannot be the case, Chris. Come on now. Come on. Yeah, well, right there. And, it gets, and the thing is, is that in response to all these people <laughs> saying that she sounded like a sympathetic character and everything that all heroes should be, this is what they added in the final version. It's even possible that Melanie should, by rights, have become a beast, but is trapped and lost out of reach of her horror. Therefore, any good beast should finish the devouring and turn her into a player character. Oh, wonderful. So turn her into the very thing that she's she fought against because she didn't want to become one. That's really that's really gross. You know what? You know what? If this if this character had been like the entire game, this would have been a much better game. Yes. And actually, at this point, I'm going to note that David Hill's writing the bit, for the Mortal Remains Hunter group for that ties in with Beast. They're basically dream warriors and go out hunting beasts. And when I read the write-up, I went, "These guys are great because they, they're doing, they, they, they have a really good reason. They're basically this character turned into an, an entire hunter cell or hunter conspiracy." I would play the hell out of that. Yeah. I would play and, that ten times a day before I play Beast. They're born out of the, the, I mean, the Dream Warriors. It's kind of like, well, you, you're basically kind of putting, taking the idea that Beasts, or at least the Horrors, are kind of like, you know, that Freddy Krueger type creature. Or, for example, the, the demonic entities in, um, in uh, oh shit, let me think, what's the name of the film? Insidious. Because, again, there's a lot of, like, you know, you go off and wander the, the outer dark. Anyway, Matt. <laughs> oh, Christ. Well, and 
the, the problem here is one that I've noticed is that there are all, like, they changed heroes to just be born. Just, like, beasts were sort of now always just born, but not really, because we have to at least pay lip service to the people who are angry about the Kickstarter copy. And heroes kill people who don't really deserve it, except so do beasts. And there's all sorts of these other uncomfortable parallels about heroes. Like, one of the powers that heroes have is that they can place anathema on beasts and force them to adhere to the heroic narrative. Like, they can say, oh, beast, I have discovered a chink in your armor. Now I can, you know, inflict more damage upon you by attacking that point. Or this weapon has been forged from, you know, meteorite iron and therefore can kill you. Or this cross was forged from the wood of the house where you were born and I can kill you with this. Like, those kinds of things. Like, they can, or they can force the beast to suddenly desire, you know, a woman somewhere. Like they can force them to adhere to that heroic narrative and act like the beast the hero knows they are. Yeah. And, but, and beasts can do the same thing. They can inflict nightmares on people and hit them with all sorts of conditions and tilts and force them to adhere to the narrative that the beast wants to have happen. But when the beasts do it, that's good and right. When the hero does it, it's because they're a villain. The game never, ever really addresses the fact that heroes do the same thing beasts do, but beasts are justified because the game is written from the point of view of the beasts. I kind of like heroes better. Almost everybody did. Okay, good. But since we're talking about anathema, we should probably talk about feeding, because they're directly related. should definitely talk about feeding. It's almost dinner time. <laughs> well, okay. The thing about beasts is that they don't have a morality stat. What they have is a satiety stat, which determines how well fed they are. It goes from 0 to 10, like most morality stats go, but it's supposed to fluctuate quite a bit over the course of play. Because not only is it how well fed you are, you can spend points from satiety to power your, to power your abilities. Um, at the higher points of satiety, you, are, you have less ability to inflict your horror in the mortal world, but you have more power over your nightmares. At low satiety, you have more physical abilities because your horror is hungry and wants food now and less ability to actually mess around with people, people's dreams. If you stay at low satiety too long, you um, end up, your horror will try and go out and feed itself. And that can cause nightmares and things like that, which can cause problems and doesn't really work out all that well. Why does that cause problems? I don't understand. Why do you, why do you, if, if you're a monster and you want to wreck stuff, why do you care? Well, because you're supposed what? to care. Why? What, well, <laughs> what in the game makes me want to give a damn about, about, you know, oh no, I'm causing issues. That's kind of my job, isn't it? Well, the issue is that when your beast goes out and feeds by itself, it isn't quote unquote feeding well. And it leaves scars in the primordial dream and can attract heroes. Uh-huh. 
because you're supposed mm-hmm. to not want to attract heroes. But at, at middle satiety, nothing really happens. But if you're at the middle satiety, that's when heroes can inflict anathema on you. So sitting in the middle is a really bad idea. But the problem is, is that the way the game is designed, you get a lot of experience points for going back and forth between the two extremes a whole hell of a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like you get an experience point for each satiety. You get, I mean, you get a beat for each satiety you spend going from six down to four. And you get a beat for resolving the conditions and going to different type, different levels of satiety. Okay. But it seems—I don't know—it just—it seems a little little tacked on, and you know, this happens because that. we want it to happen that way. Well, because like I was saying, is that um, if you ever go, if you ever lose all of your satiety entirely, you go ravenous, and. That then all sorts of really bad things happen. Oh, let me look up the list. Here we go. Um, you cannot spend willpower except in pursuit of satiety. When faced with a chance to regain satiety, you must comply. But easy low satiety meals don't fulfill you. You regain you do not gain willpower normally. You may only regain willpower by taking actions that will replenish satiety at a low level. To actually resolve the okay, each day that passes without replenishing a dot of satiety causes you a level of lethal damage that you cannot heal while you are still ravenous. And you can't heal any damage except for bashing normally while you're ravenous. And you also can't use nightmares while you're ravenous. Okay, so if so, if I'm a uh, a hoarding beast and I hunger for rare whatever, and I'm at zero satiety, I can't spend willpower, and I take physical damage every day. I don't get a rare like two-headed penny or whatever. Well, no, because the thing is, is that the way it's supposed to work is that um, you don't hunger for rare two-headed pennies. You hunger for like rareish coins. But when you're starving, you don't care. You just your horror will take anything. You can just steal money. But the problem is to actually resolve the condition, you need to fulfill an action that has a, a satiety potential of eight or more, which requires us to go look at how you actually feed. And I can, can go to that now. But actually pulling that off requires a lot of planning. Which you normally which you can't, can't do, do because you're at low satiety. Because you're at low satiety and you can't really think all that well. Or Ugh. just straight up murdering someone. Because killing someone in pursuit of your satiety bumps up the potential by four points. Right. <laughs> so if so if, if I'm if I'm the stereotypical dragon who collects gold, all I have to do is mug someone and beat them to death for their wristwatch. And hey, problem solved. Is that is that the story that I'm hearing here? Um, I'd have to go look at the potential, but like you'd have to do some other stuff, like dragging them back to your lair and doing and all sorts of other things. But yeah, like you have to do a whole like that's my major problem with the idea of oh no, don't worry, beasts are you know okay people and whatnot. Because if you go down to low satiety, your horror is just going to go out and ruin someone's day for you because you aren't going to do it yourself. And if you actually get down to zero, you're probably going to have to kill someone to get out to survive. Hmm. 
And there are some anathema that are resolved by going down to Ravenous. Like, you have to go down to Ravenous and resolve it to clear the anathema condition. <laughs> there are, And there are other ones that are resolved by going up to gore, going up to slumbering, which requires you to go up to ten satiety. And the problem with that is you can't gain satiety unless the feeding potential of your meal would be higher than your current satiety. So if you're sitting at eight, you have to do something at level nine or higher. And you roll the dice of your feet of your feeding potential to determine how many points you get. So if you are above four, you probably shouldn't be feeding because you're probably going to go up too high and go into slumbering. But I thought slumber was only at ten. It is. So that means that you have at least five between your four feeding. So you get level five, level six, level seven, level eight, level, unless you can jump multiple levels at a time. Um, you can... But like it, like if you're if you're at four oh or five, God. you're probably safe. But if you're at seven, you would need to roll eight dice, and you're probably gonna get more than three successes. If you can manage to get an exceptional success, you can choose to get as you can choose to only go up to nine, like if you would go higher. But if you don't, you take as many successes as you get. So at six, you shouldn't be feeding, but that unless. Has a that has the problem in its own right. If you're if you're if you're if you're in that middle ground, that makes you open to hunt to heroes, right? So right, yeah. So right. I do, so basically, what you should do is spend down to three and then feed up higher. Right. Or just use the rules for family dinner and bypass the feeding system entirely because uh, family dinner is stupid. Don't even. Yeah. Okay. Is that where we start to get? Are we now onto the point where we have to talk about how Beast interacts with? Other supernaturals. Well, I guess I should finish I think, up I think talking we're to the about point where we get to talk about that. Mm. Anyway, carry on, Matt. You're going to finish off something else. Yeah, slumbering. Oh yeah. Like, okay. The slumbering condition. Um, your beast powers turn off. You turn into a normal human. You stop needing to spend satiety just on a daily basis, and you are normal. The only way to get your powers back is to get a point of bashing or lethal in one of your last three health boxes, or collapse a chamber in your lair. Hmm. And, but it's like, to actually get up to gorge, to get up to slumbering without being able to use family dinner, you need to do something freaking terrible to somebody. Like, I do not see, like, I do not see how a beast could ever think of themselves as a good person, considering the rules for feeding. Yeah. But they're not people, so it doesn't matter. Right, but then why would someone want to play these characters? It's, it's, so much what? of it comes off as, as you say, it's, it's a lot of re revenge, power, wish fulfillment against your... Um, uh, against your aggressors in life whether they are whether they actually did harm you or not and abuse you or not before you became a beast or if you've made up in your head because there's a possibility for that you've just damaged yourself by by being too caught up in yourself well and that's a thing that the game goes over too and something i wish the game spent more time on is that beasts bring their own prejudices into determining their feeding the way they're going to feed. Mm. Like, 
a beast who was picked on by as a child is probably going to try picking is going to feed on bullies. They're going to perpetuate the cycle because that's how people work. Like beasts are human, even though they're not. Like they determine what they want to do based on their own experiences. It's just now they don't have a moral compass. Yeah. And, of course, they're, they're allowed to do it because they're teaching a lesson, apparently. Supposedly. But they don't have to, if they don't no. care. Like, the only thing that enforces the ability of... the enforces the need of beasts to teach lessons is the very flimsy rules on beast society. Yes, yes. And they basically amount to the old geek social fallacies, which are... These are your friends. They can do whatever they want because they're your friends. Until they do something so bad that it makes the rest of you look bad, then you have to shun them and make them change their ways. Hmm. Which is is terrible when you consider the uh, the the way people take beast as an analogy for various um, various. Uh, ostracized and slighted and you know um, abused groups in society because it's basically saying oh you 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 know, you've, you you suddenly come come into power understanding of what you are and then in return you're going to inflict abuse on your previous um, abusers right the idea that because that was a problem with beast's early development was the idea that you are playing stand-ins for the LGBT community, for people who came out as kids, for the smart people who were bullied by because they weren't athletic enough. Yeah. Like you are playing all of these people who had a really tough time growing up, but have now been told, no, you're great. In fact, you're better than great. You are the most special person who has ever existed. Take out all of your frustration on the people who picked on you as a kid. Hmm. So the other part of that is, since you didn't really have anybody that you could get along with growing up, now everybody else has to like you because the game rules say. Let's mm. talk about kinship. Talk no. about what? Kinship, the, the in-universe justification for why the other supernatural creatures like them so much. Gotcha. <laughs> Go on, Matt. This is just such a wonderful section. Alright. So, the idea that the book puts forth is that either all other supernatural creatures in the world were descended in some way from beasts, either literally or figuratively, or beasts have a connection to this mere concept of supernatural horror and therefore have a connection to all other supernatural creatures. Except for demons. Except for demons for reasons. Yeah. But the way that works is everybody automatically has, like all supernatural creatures have a better than normal perception of beasts. Um, vampires, werewolves, changelings, Prometheans, sin eaters, mummies, fetches, inhuman spirits all start at at least friendly. Um, yeah, mages, yeah. Mages, psychics, ghosts, and slashers. <laughs> slashers. 
start off at at least um what's not hated the one above that um neutral, neutral whatever yeah Average. whatever yeah okay yeah so like be like so everybody at least likes beasts unless the beast shows up like and kills their dog or something like unless the beast does something to that would normally set a person to hostile they are friendly or average with them yeah beasts like in character beasts don't real like they know that they are friendly with people but they aren't really aware of the mechanical implications of it and neither are the other creatures it's just this guy shows up and you like him for some reason hmm and since and since beasts are connected to them on some kind of weird paranormal level beasts can feed when they feed a thing so called this, family is, this is my favorite thing that I've read if, in the game. If a beast accompanies a vampire out on a feeding run... Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. If a beast is watching as a vampire hunts or feeds or whatever, that's all it oh, takes. Yes. Yeah, you can just stand vampire... in the background and, and watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. the, the vampire doesn't even need to be aware of it. Uh. <laughs> but, yeah, like, like, if the beast... Like, if... Like, if it requires stalking, if it requires actual feeding, like, consumption of something through their supernatural power, and the beast has the family ties merit with them, the beast can get up to three satiety from each instance of, of a family ties feeding. Yeah. And they don't have to roll for it, it just happens, and they never have to go up to ten unless they don't want to. Which, I mean, it's just so... It, it's so... It's it so easy. Yeah, it destroys the whole mechanics of feeding that you've just talked about. The other, the regular manner. It's just pointless then. Yeah, it's like the idea of it being easy to feed at low health, at low satiety, and harder to feed at high satiety, and like the fact that you need to do something terrible to actually eke out that last bit of hunger if you need to go up higher doesn't exist because the game specifically also says that fusing family dinner to feed doesn't leave a mark on the primordial dream. Yeah. Like, you don't attract hunters, you don't attract heroes, if you stay at high satiety through through family dinner. You can just bypass the single point of conflict the entire game has. Okay, okay, so so I found the uh, the way that you play this game, and you make it interesting. You play this game as a, a Vampire the Requiem game, except for you are the reason that vampires are allowed to just hunt down all these college kids. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, you play the the beast who has the uh, the family ties with uh, vampires, right? And all you do all day, all night long, because not all day, is you is you follow behind these vampire hunting parties who are just chasing down poor visitors to town and murdering them and eating them in the streets. And you are the reason that no one ever shows up to stop this. You are the reason Sunnydale exists. <laughs> yeah, okay, I see it that way. You're the one that kills Buffy. Right, okay. Uh. Christ. <laughs> Well, no, and the other thing that's kind of hilarious about the whole, that this whole ordeal is that heroes, all of the heroes' powers, only work on beasts. If you're friends with a werewolf, 
Werewolves can just yeah. kill a hero in one in one shot. Like there is a, one of the fiction examples in here is of a beast getting completely jobbed by a hero, and a vampire walks in and just rips his head off. <sighs> can we also because we talked about the the whole family ties thing and family resemblance? Can we just say how messed up this is for changelings? Because Right, the only reason a changeling is the way it is is because they were they were taken away, they were stolen away, kidnapped by the true fae, taken to Arcadia, along the route way through the hedge, their soul is ripped apart, and it's only by eventually escaping Arcadia and all the, the weirdness and abuse and, uh, and uh, basically how they were used by the true fae are they then changed? And as they come back through the hedge, do they eventually, you know, get something back that's almost like their soul? It's kind of held together by the power of the weird. And then these beasts come along and are taken advantage of the fact that you were screwed over by the true fae. In some respects, because the beasts themselves are not unlike the true fae, because both the true fae and beasts get a, get a whole lot out of, you know, abusing people in nightmares. That's just so weird. It's like going, oh, you were abused as a child by your daddy, and guess who looks like daddy? Me. <laughs> but that's why we get on. Um, well, no, like, the rules no. in here state that changelings are less human than slashers and ghosts. Changelings yeah. count as supernatural creatures, whereas mages, ghosts, and slashers count as almost human. Yeah. Also, the only example of a changeling being given a voice in either the fiction anthology or the book itself, is a changeling who was found by a beast when they got back through the hedge. The beast killed his um, replacement. His fetch, yeah. His fetch. And then the changeling saw the beast feeding for the first time and was like, oh god, you're one of them. You take them to the hedge. The beast's like, oh no, I don't kill them. I just fuck them up. And the changeling's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Oh, that's cool, yeah. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. And also, like the thing where it gets weird with with beasts is that obviously beasts are taken advantage of the fact that these supernatural creatures, so changelings, are have been changed into a monster of some form. Whereas, like that's almost anathema because like changelings are constantly having to make the choice of well, if they don't use their powers that they've got, they can't make their life and try try can't really reconstruct their life as best as they can. But also, if they use their powers too much and become too powerful, a changeling becomes one of the true fae. So you can quite happily see a beast going, yeah, 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 you know, you go you go feed on Glamour, I'll feed away and watch you, like the creepy guy that sits in the back of a, of a place wanking off watching people have sex in a group sex place, because that's what the beasts seem to me like that. They kind of just sat there in the corner. And as a changeling is getting more powerful... They're going, yeah, you do that. It's like the beast is pushing a changeling to become the very thing they they hate and escaped from. Let's talk about Prometheans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nicely. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Promethean then. Now, okay, so I, I see what you're saying, Chris, and I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, but is that not kind of the point of beasts? They what, make to... others around them more beastly, more horrible? They make things worse? Yeah, well, well, that's why. But then I think that's why there's nothing. There's no reason I can find to to like them as a character because I can't connect on them. Almost every other 
every every other game line. You're you're trying to reconnect in some way or retain in some way part of your humanity. A vampire is trying to to remain human or at least appear so, and they they still have their soul. It's just obviously mm-hmm. the beast is riding along. Mages obviously deal with hubris, and you know by falling to hubris they're less than human. Werewolves they have to keep a balance between the wolf spirit and their soul. And that's the whole point of the game line. Uh, but they're still, you know, are human to to a greater extent than beasts anyway. Um, changelings, they, they're, they're st- they've got a patchwork of their soul held together. Uh, Prometheans are actively working along milestones to to crystallize their, their, right, to their pyros. To become a real boy. Um <laughs> Mummy, they're trying to remember what it was, you know, remember, gain their memories of their humanity, because remember, they start with low low memory, and it increases as the game goes on, and that has all manner of connotations as they remember the actual truth of why they are slaves to the judges. And have I missed the game line? Geist, you've got the, the balance between, much like in Werewolf, but in, this time you've got the ride-along is a ghost, uh, mm-hmm. You know the geist, and you're trying to keep the 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 border between the living and the dead. How about the slasher? Role... And slashers, slashers are actively, you know, as they do more and more monstrous things, they become less human. And a demon makes essentially is making a patchwork cover by by stealing people's souls in 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 essence. Whereas a beast has quite happily gone, I've lost it, either through their own free will or not, and quite happily accept they're a monster. I don't have any reason to sympathize with them. They're horrible, horrible creatures. Beasts are in humanity's cheerleaders. They yes. want you to be as monstrous as they know you can be. Which, why would a werewolf, a Promethean, or a changeling want to associate with them? So let's so let's go with the Promethean angle. Of why you said okay, so? So here's here's my my answer to to that question that Matt just posed. I can't speak for Prometheans because I'm not super familiar with that game line, but why would a changeling and why would a uh, werewolf want to associate with them? Because they speak to the darker nature, because they speak to the the glue of the weird that holds the changeling soul together, the dark, the horrible, the nightmare. They speak to the the primal werewolf wolf nature. They are the bad that the others that the others are trying to overcome. Right, but the th- problem is is that if a werewolf has a beast around and the beast is hanging around and feeding on the things, they're going to make the spiritual resonance of the place really fucking terrible. There's going to be fear spirits all over the place. There's going to be predation spirits. The, wor- the neighborhood is going to become a worse place because the beast is there, and the werewolf will be able to see it. But it gives mm-hmm. the werewolf something to do. <laughs> don't, were- don't werewolves get, um, you know, societal honor or whatever it is in this version for beating up the, uh, the bad guys, the, the bane spirits and the monsters? Yes, which is why they would get so a lot pl- of honor so, for so they're the playing beast. Gauntlet with the beasts. The beasts are the little spawn points in Gauntlet where all the little <laughs> monsters come out, and all they got to do is get the little monsters, and they get all this experience. <laughs> Stop feeding! Get out of your lane! Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about Promethean. And to wit, the Beast Fiction Anthology, The Primordial Feast, actually has a story where beasts interact with Promethean. Spoiler alert, it ends badly for the Prometheans. 
Yes, go on then. This is great. All right. <sighs> so, the beast in question is an Ashmaki um, nemesis who hates it when people lie. Said nemesis assumes that since these Prometheans are acting... this There's a Promethean character in here who finishes her journey and becomes human. And the other Prometheans are like, well, at the one hand, she was our friend and now she's human and we want to be a part of her life. And on the other hand, we can't be a part of her life because she has no idea who we are and we might ruin whatever good thing she's got going. Yeah. The Beast says, oh, no, she's not human. She's a monster. I hate the fact that she's lying, and now and my horror wants to feed on her. So the beast goes into her nightmares. Like, the beast, first of all, the beast intentionally starves herself, so her horror will go out and feed on its own. So she has a bit of plausible deniability that she isn't actively... <laughs> yeah. That's the fucked like, up. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not, I, I'm just not feeding so much today. And it's like, yeah, but she's having horrible nightmares. Like, well, it's not my fault. Do, do, do. And when the other Prometheans actually call the beast out on this, the beast goes, well, fuck it, and goes and kidnaps her and drags her into her lair and tortures her for nights on end, trying to turn her back into a Promethean. A hero notices this and raids the and goes to, you know, actually intervene. The Prometheans get there about at the same time. And since the Prometheans know that the hero isn't going to really call a question between the beast and whatever she's doing, the Prometheans stop the hero. Um, while like one of the Prometheans stays behind to stop the hero, while the other one goes on to try and find her friend, and like the hero manages to fight past the Promethean and gets to the beast and tries to kill it, but then the other Promethean that stayed behind stabs the hero through the chest and kills her. But and the beast is like, oh yeah, that's great, awesome. Now let's you know bring our friend back by torturing her. And the Promethean, and the Promethean who killed the hero goes dark mode, picks up the gun, and empties the entire clip <laughs> into the beast's head. And rightly so. Fuck. I hell. thought you said it didn't end well for the Prometheans. That sounds like a fantastic ending. I don't know what you're talking about. That's a great <laughs> ending where it's a perfect example of how beasts mm. and great player characters, the wonderful antagonists, don't get me wrong, on the basis of what they are, they're great antagonists. The complete shh. Oh, no. Anyway. Are they supposed to be an antagonist class? <laughs> no, they're supposed like, to be for the instance, you know, friendly class. Yeah. Yeah. But every example, I mean, Matt, you've read through the anthology, like, and and the examples you've picked out and things, like, there's the one with the vampires, and even the about the whole, oh, going, what was it with the, the was it okay. someone getting killed? Yeah, go with that. <laughs> the, the the first two stories in the book, which you assume would be the time when you want to put your best foot forward and make the game sound as great as possible. The first one is a beast gaslighting her abusive mother dragging her into the primordial dream, killing her, and then setting up her mother's new boyfriend to take the fall. <laughs> and the only reason she feels bad about it is because her father disapproves. It's like, Dad, but she was mean to you too. Why weren't you happy that I murdered her? It's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> the second story is a beast killing another beast because he's the abusive father of one of his music students 
and he's just been indiscriminately murdering people across the United States. And he needs to be taught the proper way to feed and how to teach people. It's not, it's not a bad thing that he's been murdering people. It's that he's been indiscriminately murdering people and making his, stu- making his daughter feel afraid. Therefore, he has to die. Like, the only reason the Beast intervenes is because he is friends with the guy's daughter. Hmm. And there's a, couple of, there's a couple of different stories. Some are much better written than others. There's a really good one about... A, oh, we haven't even talked about inheritances yet. Yeah. Shit. Uh, there's um there's that one though with the vampire where is it, is it not the bit of flavor text in the book or is it actually in the anthology where one vampire you know the beast kills um the other beast's sister and the vampire is left looking on going like why aren't you oh that's that's in the that's in the book that's yeah. the example of the vampire character is that the vampire is like, friends with this entire beast, um, I can't remember what they're called, brood. And, like, one of the beasts, like, while he's feeding, kills another beast's sister. And the vampire's like, well, you know, I expected them to have a really big blow-up because they, like, they were lovers, but now they don't like each other anymore, and then he killed her sister. So I was expecting some kind of big fight. But no, she's totally okay with it. What the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> yeah. Like, a vampire is saying, what the fuck is wrong with you? You screwed up at some point. So, so wait, 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 wait. Maybe now I get it. Maybe these are the uh, uh, World of Dark, Chronicle of Darkness version of Dexter. Or Hannibal. I understand we already have Slasher, I get that. put forth as an example, is that they're Dex. They were Dexter. Like they're the kind of people who do terrible things. Like you could make Dexter as a great beast, someone who does horrible things to horrible people because he knows he's a horrible person, but tries, but wants to make the world a better place. But that would require Beast to acknowledge that they are horrible people. And also, Dexter never made Dokes into the bad guy. Whereas if Dexter was a beast, Dokes would be like raping people repeatedly left and right and doing horrible things because he has to be the bad clearly guy. not read the books. You have I have not read the books. I've only seen the TV really? show. Ah. Hmm. Okay. okay. So, beasts spend all this time making people's lives terrible. What is a beast endgame? That would be inheritance. And the thing is, is that all three of the inherit there's three different kinds of inheritance. All of them result in something horribly monstrous and inhuman. And it's like this is the only goal for Beast to pursue. So even if a beast is being a nice person, like if a beast wants to be a generally good person and try to limit their impact on humanity, they are forever prohibited from actually attaining Beast's endgame. Well, if their endgame is to be horrible to humanity and they're not being horrible to humanity, that kind of makes sense, right? Right, but the game also goes on at length about how beasts are net good for humanity, and they do good things for them. But, like, the, the, it's a horrible game. I mean, there is so much that is wrong about this game that has been wrong since the beginning. It has been there since its inception. Everybody pointed out that it was a horrible idea, and they gently whitewashed it with some good things over the top. If you look at it from a distance, it seems okay, 
but when you look closely, you can still see all the blood underneath it because it was a really thin coat of white paint, and everybody who knows what was wrong with it in the first place can just look and see and feel justified that it's still there. Because mm. the way inheritance works is um, the ultimate end goal is known as the merger, or not the merger, the, the incarnation, where you become something greater than what you are. How do you do this, you ask? One of the ways, and the preferred way, is to kill, a, is to utterly destroy a hero. You don't have to kill them, but you have to defeat them, and they cannot even touch you. You have to take them apart bit by bit, show them that they were wrong to ever oppose you in the first place, and that you are great and awesome. By doing so, you and your horror fuse together into one gestalt hole that is basically a plot device in flesh form. Hmm. But, if you don't want to actually go through all that trouble, there are two lesser inheritances that you can achieve. There is one known as the merger, where you pull your horror into your own body, and exist as a monster, as a soulless monster in the real world, like you become, like the example character is a guy who basically was just pissed off at his life and decided he didn't want to be human anymore. So he basically had his, he destroyed his lair, took his soul into himself, and became a predator in the real world because killing people was easier. Or you can undergo the retreat, which is also the only one that can happen by accident. If you die while your soul is slumbering, it just fucks off into the primordial drain. It's like, well, whatever, I'm done. Hmm. That kind of sounds like the best possible ending for the game to me. Am, yeah, am, like, am I wrong? That's a, like, that's a, well, supposedly, you know, now that your horror no longer has a human consciousness, it's free to do whatever the hell it wants. But at uh, least it's on being honest to itself and not having this, this, uh, this. Oh, but it's just my horror doing the horrible things. I'm not doing it. Right. Well, like, that's the thing. Is like in all, in two cases, you become an NPC because you no longer have any sort of human consciousness, and the other one, you basically become one of the most powerful creatures in existence. Mm. But Which then it's like also makes you an NPC. But but the thing is is that you be like you become a myth, and if someone can change your myth, you stop being an incarnate until you reclaim your myth. It doesn't actually describe how you do either of those things, but it says that it can happen. Changing your myth—that sounds a bit like either a, a mage or a changeling screwing around with fate. <laughs> yeah. But, like, one of the powers of the Incarnate is to make heroes stop being heroes. Like, you just flip a switch and they lose all their powers and become human again because you show them how wrong they were. But wait, I thought heroes were not human. They were born heroes. No, oh, like, is, that, is that a holdover from the previous version of the game where, no, where you make them heroes? Heroes, are, heroes are human. They're just born heroes. They still have an integrity stat, they still have a soul, but they're just wrong because they think that they should oppose beasts. And in reality, beasts are helpful to humanity because that's what the game says. 
No, I should like read the rule for you for how this thing works. Okay. Heroes might still seek the beast out, but they cannot place anathema on her, and the hero's power of heroic tracking is of no use. The beast incarnate can remove the hero's gifts, granting him clarity and showing him exactly who he is in the scheme of things. An interloper, an intruder in a story that never was his. With a simple touch, the beast shows the hero that no matter how terrifying the nightmare, it is not his place to end it. How smug and self-righteous hmm. is that paragraph? To be fair, one of the heroes is a dude in a trilby, so I think that guy might need to be shown. Yes, but beast, <laughs> that's a blanket statement against all beasts. Yeah. And because the game says that all, all heroes are terrible people, you know, I guess that's okay, but it's, it's a self-perpetuating cycle that pisses me off. Heroes are wrong because heroes have to be wrong, because otherwise the game would make no sense. Because otherwise we're the bad guys. Right. Mm. Like, there's no reason for heroes to exist because you can avoid messing around with them. Like, even if you're, like, the nicest beast in the world, if if a beast nearby is a terrible person, they can attract a hero, and that hero can find you. Like, because they're NPCs, they're plot devices, the storyteller will use a hero as they see fit. Why even bother trying to be a nice person? Like, there is so much about this game that makes no goddamn sense. Like, the only motivation to teach lessons and to be a nice person is because the game says that it should be a motivation. There is nothing mechanical that actually interacts with that in any way, since you no longer can create heroes by feeding badly. Heroes just exist. They are literally NPCs that should not be sympathetic, because if they are, the game breaks down. Hmm. I have nothing really more to add to that. Um, okay, um, where do we want to go next with this? I mean, we've been through a lot. Uh, the storytelling chapter, I oh, oh, and that's skipping past all the example settings, which exist in this. There, there's only one example setting that I really want to touch on, and that's Vancouver. Because Vancouver, <laughs> yeah. Vancouver has implications that I really do not like. Go for it. I'll have to look it up, because I didn't check the page number on here. Uh, I'm trying to look for it now. Uh, what's the title of the section? Do you remember what it was called? Here it is. A Serpent's Tooth, I think. Yep. Okay, the idea behind the Vancouver setting is that there was this myth in the local um, Indian tribes about this great monster that existed in dreams that also existed in the sea and did horrible things to them. And But the local Namtaru had no real ties to it in any way. So the, um, so the local... Um, not... Ugalu, the uh, Makara. No, like the, the Makara had no ties to it, and so the Shadow Beast guys. Yeah. I can't remember their name. Anyways, one entire family of beasts basically declared pogrom on another family of beasts. 
and tried to wipe them all out. Like, as stated within Beast, like the book, this is the first chance time ever mentioned of Beast having any kind of organization along those lines. Hmm. Anyways, at some like when they were expanding the Vancouver's Cleveland Dam, they accidentally uncorked something, and that flooded the entire local primordial dream. And now Makara are super powerful. In fact, they're so powerful, they have their own nightmare, which lets them remove everybody else's supernatural powers. Nice. Like they can just turn off a werewolf's ability to shapeshift. Do you want to know how they resolve that condition? I definitely want to know how they resolve that condition. They have to ex they have to admit that the beast is right and has the right to take away their powers and then take the beaten down trait. To resolve the beaten down trait, you have to spend a point of willpower and admit that the beast is right again. <laughs> Wow. Like, it's, it also says that it only, it's only available to the Leviathans of Vancouver, and it does not function outside of Vancouver. But So the answer to that is, okay, I guess I'm never going to adventure in Vancouver, because that's bullshit. <laughs> like, they used it to bring all the local vampires and werewolves under their heel, because they are clearly the most powerful and biggest and baddest monsters, and no one can oppose them, so now all the vampires and werewolves of Vancouver work for them. Hmm. So, why would you not just leave town? You would. Like... I mean, I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say, oh, you guys are right, let me pick up my teeth, I'm gonna head on out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the the storytelling chapter, the storytelling chapter, isn't very good. No, I I I saw nothing really about concepts with chronicles. It was more there was a bit of how you structure stories, wasn't there? But otherwise, uh... the one thing that they were extremely extremely insistent on is that you don't set it up like a Cambellian epic. Beasts shouldn't actively oppose heroes. Heroes should just be a thing that happens, and you kill them, and then get along, get on with the regular plot. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. You can't have your entire book be set up as an inversion of the Campbellian epic, and then ignore it entirely. Another example they have in here is that you should eschew common structures. You know what you should emulate? Rashomon. You should have a four-act structure, and in the third act, you should have your player characters play vampires. Don't tell them how it's supposed to be related to the beast, just tell them that it is. And then in act four, show that they are connected. It doesn't say how you should do that, or even what kind of example plot you should use, just that they should be related. Like, hmm. You can't do that. You have to give an example. You can't just say, introduce all of these plot threads, then resolve them at the end. Well, they gave an example. Watch Rashomon. It's probably a better use of your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> that, should be the, that should be the subtitle instead of the primordial beast. Watch Rashomon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, is there anything more to go through? I mean, 
Uh, I get. How about Bryce? Do you have any questions? Because both of us have read the book and we can probably answer them. I say I read the book to a point. There's a point. I think I I've tried getting through it twice, and uh, you just get to a point where you kind of get a bit tired reading it in some places. Um, yeah, I've, oh, no. I've read. I've read. You know the first several chapters of the book, and they they sound like they have a decent idea, a very not horrible idea that could go somewhere. But wasn't the first chapter of the book the one that's had the most revision between the version we have now and the initial version at the Kickstarter? Yes, the 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 first chapter is the one where they talk about how. Beasts are meant to feed, teach lessons and not feed, and that feeding without teaching lessons is a terrible thing, and that beasts are created by the devouring. They are not born. But yeah. then you get to chapter two, and there's a, sidebar, there's a sidebar that says, actually, beasts are special and born and not created. And also, beasts really shouldn't teach lessons because that's bullshit. Like, there's a sidebar that says... This is all a lie. This is stupid. Beasts should just be able to be who they are. Yeah. Okay, so my question to each of you. Would you play this game? No. Not is, there anything, is there anything that could be done, could be changed in this game to make you want to play this game without saying, yeah, let's just play them as okay. bad guys in our hunter game? I will say I have an idea of how I'd use bits from it, but it would require gutting a whole load. Uh, it would mostly refocus on the Campbellian uh, cycle and inverting that. And the crossover would be more would be less about Beast going, oh hey guys, I'm your friend. I didn't mean to do it, but I'm your friend. And more about how and it would fit in with why beasts and demons don't work together. So I have more of a Gaia theory approach to Beast. In other words, it kind of makes Beast more like old school werewolf, to be honest. Well, that, yeah. But I'm not going to say to do that because it requires so much work, and no one should. If you, you know, you shouldn't have to buy this book, not, and and for all these reasons, then go. Well, I shouldn't have bought the book. I could have just used all the bits and parts from all the other game lines and made something better. Because also, a lot of Beast, when you go through it. There's, you can start seeing where little bits have come from the other game lines to make it more, which is why possibly it's more like a crossover game. I don't know. And also, if you want a better crossover game, play Geist because you know everything creates ghosts, so Geist is the best crossover game. Or play Werewolf because they just introduced an entire book about crossover called The Pack. Or play okay, Mate. Matt. <laughs> Matt, would you play Beast, the Primordial? If the game owned up to its monstrosity, if the game admitted that it was all bullshit, if the game didn't like let heroes be heroic, maybe. But the amount of effort that would go into doing that, this game isn't worth it. It's like and acknowledging that the game has something good in it isn't something I'm prepared to do. It's bad. I mean, and like Chris mentioned, we didn't go over it. Demons hate beasts like and demon was the last game that the writer of this game black hat matt worked on before he made beast the fact that his own you know pocket characters hate each other is kind of surprising to me like he does not want beasts and demons to interact 
because I think Beast would bring Demon down. Like mm. he doesn't want Demon. He doesn't want the game that Demon is to be brought down by association with Beast. But everybody else can get shit on. Well, didn't he also work on uh, Changeling: The Lost? Well, no? he, he wasn't. He wasn't developer for that. That was Jess Hartley. Um, develop right. uh, developer now for uh, uh, David Hill's developer for Changeling Second Edition. Mm. Yeah, he worked and he worked on Demon with Rose Bailey, but he himself wrote Heirs to Hell, which is a fantastic book. So it's like I know he can do good things. I don't know why he did Beast like this, but he did, and he shouldn't be forgiven just because he was able to do something good. Yeah, because I think the problem with Beast is there's a lot of problematic connotations in there when you get into the whole thing about how it relates to uh, abuse and neglect and and bullying and how Beast and and the perpetuation of that and how that's a good game to play and how people deserve what happens to them. I think isn't there some sort of example where a Beast about you know the hunger for prey is you know, chasing down someone and making them learn they've got to run faster. But if they, if you catch them, if the fat kid can't run away quick enough, well, he had it coming. Is really messed up. Well, I just mm. there's the example feeding in this in this game, and it's got one part that was changed from the Kickstarter chapter. In the Kickstarter, it was the little old lady example character, which <laughs> yeah. is its own stupid thing. Catching a kid stealing candy from other kids. And she tracks him down to his house, poisons the candy, waits until he's throwing up, puts a bag over his head so he aspirates on his vomit, then tosses him down to the ground, uses a bunch of nightmares on him, realizes that he lost a point of integrity, and then turns his house into a horrible nightmare lair. Hmm. But people were like, that's a little kid. That seems a little bit harsh. In the final copy, he's no longer a high schooler. He's a frat boy, so it's okay to be mean to him. So is Beast the primordial wish fulfillment? Yes. On the part of the author, or perhaps some group that the author feels that he is associated with? God, yes. Yes. When people pointed out that heroes were sympathetic, and that making heroes be the victims of beasts was kind of, was made heroes seem more heroic, his response to that was to compare his detractors to men's right activists going not all men. And that they should really think about themselves because heroes are the bad guys because he says they are the bad guys. And since he is the writer, that is the way it should be. Hmm. Like, I can read through this book and see lots of places where the authorial voice comes through. And when beasts feed, the moment when a beast actually gets satiety is when the human gives up and admits that the beast is right. Like, that is, I think that is the crux of this game. Give up and admit I'm right. No matter how wrong the beast actually may well be. No, it's, it's, yeah, because, like, if a beast comes across somebody in an abusive relationship, depending on the proclivities of the beast, there are multiple lessons they could teach. Like, a Anakim uh, predator could be like, 
look, this person's bad for you. I'm going to show you how bad it could be. You should get away. Yeah. Whereas a, uh, as a, a Namtaru tyrant would be, no, this is the best you're going to get, and it could be a lot worse. Just put up with the abuse. <laughs> like, and as far as Beast is concerned, those are both valid lessons because it's up to the Beast doing it to determine what actually is true. And, and, there forcing are no... the, and forcing the human to admit that the beast is right. And there are no mechanics and no guidance on what actually is a, a good lesson and how it actually, yeah, how you fulfill that. <sighs> yeah. It's up to the storyteller's discretion. Which means then, if you presented the game, if the game is very caters for revenge fantasy, then that really brings into question. If it's really up to the storyteller and the players what those lessons are, you're just going to get tons and tons of. I think you're just going to get tons and tons of revenge fantasy lessons. They had it coming. They all had it coming. Insert, insert so, clip from Carrie here. Well, yes, I, I was. I was going to ask if um, the one-armed guy from Arrested Development is one of the uh, the beasts, the ugly person stereotype beast. That's why you always leave a note. That's the lesson he's he's teaching you. Mm. The fact that it's look, that it terrifies you for no no reason. Look, there's a beast in here who tracks down someone because he didn't leave a big enough tip, <laughs> and and terrifies him to teach him that other people matter and he should leave bigger tips. You and your tipping system. You see, that wouldn't even work in the UK. We don't need to tip because we actually give people at least a decent wage. Anyway, um, cents an hour is more than enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh Christ! Clearly, one of the. Uh, is that where we're going to leave it? Because I yes, don't I think, think it is. Carrying so. on any further will just. Um, yeah, there's nothing. Nothing more really to say, I think, criticism-wise at this moment. Um, there are other books coming out for it, so... But, I mean, again, you know, let's be honest, we, we don't get free copies of these books. These books we get through, you know, paying for them or backing them and then being disappointed on the backing. Um, so, the, even us actually wanting to bother to read and review um, the player's guide that's apparently coming out for this book or, or you know, for this game or whatever. Uh, for my part, the likelihood of that is not going to happen. Uh, I think that's, that borders on uh, say that masochism, really. Um, Which is apparently right up my alley because I do <laughs> review this because I review this shit willingly for some stupid reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably going to at least read the Reconstruction Era Beast thing because there's no way that's not going to be a train wreck. Like, it's either going to be an absolute train wreck or it's going to redeem the line. Isn't and that, isn't that um, a, a stretch goal, wasn't it, for Beast? So I'm going to get that anyway. So, oh well, there we go. <laughs> but no, if you guys take nothing else away from this review, do not buy this game. Yeah. Do not reward them because it does not deserve it. Go buy Mage. Go buy Vampire Second Edition. Go buy, buy Demon. Demon. Go buy Changeling Twenty Fifth Anniversary Edition coming soon to us to a drive-through RPG near you. Um, and I have to say at this point, because as I said, I'm about to run Geist. Um, I'm looking forward to Geist Second Edition because uh, Dave Brookshaw's doing it. So he, you know, Dave is, does great things. Also, Dave hasn't let me down. So 
well, I haven't looked at Mage Second Edition yet, but I've not heard bad things about that. Um, anyway, let's move on to the secret frequency and finish this fucking show. <laughs> and with that... So, uh, I present today for the secret frequency the Pope Lick Monster. Um, uh, Raquel Bain was struck. Is that? Oh, I don't know how I pronounce that. It looks like Rachel, but it's Raquel. Yeah, whatever. Was struck by a train while seeking a creature that is said to lure people onto the tracks. A cross between a man, a goat, and a sheep. And the bizarrely uh, named Pope Lick. Mon- uh, Pope Lick Monster allegedly lives underneath the Norfolk Southern Railway trestle over a small creek in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, local legends claim that the creature uh, leads trespassers to their doom by hypnotizing them uh, into walking onto the tracks where they meet their demise in front of an oncoming train. Uh, in this particular case, uh, Bane, who was a tourist with her boyfriend, uh, had been into the area to go on a paranormal tour of the Waverly Hills Sanatorium, uh, but had decided to visit the infamous trestle in an attempt to hunt down the Pope-like monster. Um, what happened next remains unclear, but it ended with a couple stranded in the middle of the trestle with a train speeding towards them. Without enough time to reach safety, Bane was struck by the locomotive and killed while her boyfriend narrowly escaped by dangling over the edge. The police later revealed no evidence of drugs or alcohol or foul play. And uh, the incident follows on from another near miss that occurred on the same trestle two years uh, earlier when some uh, an Eastern high school graduate was photographed with his legs uh, dangling over the side. Uh, there's also some quote of the Pope monster didn't get us, but a train almost did. Uh, so, how would I use this in uh, the Chronicles of Darkness or World of Darkness? Um, Chronicles of Darkness. Perhaps this is a manifestation of a of a uh, a ghost uh, of of a person that died on the trains, uh, and they they look like this weird. Uh, combination of a man, goat, and sheep because they've, um, they're have they a ghost that's been released from the uh, lower depths of uh, the underworld and while they were there, obviously they, they uh, became misshapen and twisted. Uh, the other option is perhaps this is a, um, a way that uh, one of the true fae goes about stealing people. So the person doesn't die when they get hit by the train. They're actually, at the last moment, uh, taken away into Arcadia, and the body parts you find are just that, the remains that they've made, kind of like a fetch. Uh, the other option is you could think of this as a... Um, perhaps this is actually all part of some strange uh, occult matrix of the uh, god machine. Um, so, guys, any other ideas how to use this? Clearly this is a beast. Teaching the lesson of it, stay off of the damn bridge. <laughs> yes, I was thinking that. That is the obvious one. Don't go on, don't go on train tracks. You'll get run over because that's a because that's a primordial. It is a primal fear that we should all learn. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, the 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 part deep in our collective history when we were run over by trains. Yes. Mm. Uh, okay, but but seriously, um, 
uh, for the old world of darkness, I can I can definitely see since it's got all the uh, the animalistic features, it could very well be a um, a vampire because there are the um, gangrel who have the animalistic features. Although I'm not sure uh, how scary or spoopy the um, goat sheep man combination might be, but you know whatever. Uh, perhaps he's trying to lure victims to his uh, his little railway bridge that he has over the little shallow creek that he calls a lair, and he will, uh, you know, drink blood from their splattered, splattered corpses. Fair enough. It could also be a uh, a satire out there who is just, you know, wanting to be left alone, live under his little bridge, and have all the fun he wants out there in the wilderness, because I can't imagine that there's anything going on. Yes, satyr, sorry. Like... Out there in, uh, in and around the environs of Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, okay. It could be some kind of horrible amalgam spirit, like a goat, sheep, and a predator of some kind. Like Man. a spirit just ate a whole bunch of crap and is now really, really screwed up in the head and wants to kill people. And, you know, for some reason is bound to the train tracks. Why can't it just be um, part of how the uh, the Magath appears? Because that's the uh, combination spirit. And that actually um, it possesses the train that does the running over at the last minute, so that's how it feeds. So it's one form is the lure, and the other form is this. I'm sure its spiritual reflection would be some giant train with horns and and uh, you know muscles and everything that give it that kind of weird combination. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, but it's probably a beast, which means it's probably, probably beast. Be killed. <laughs> Definitely a beast. Um, right, if that's everything, if that's all the ideas we've got for it, I mean... We need a man with a trilby to go investigate this bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my lady, lady, it's it's clearly a man goat sheep. Um, If I kill this, will you sleep with me? (laughs) (sighs) No one kills like Mr. Trilby. No one slays like Mr. Trilby um, so um, with that I think we're <laughs> at an end um, if you disagree with our uh, our review of Beast please email us at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com you can tell us we're a bunch of assholes at uh, Twitter uh, at darkerdaysradio um, and that's at Twitter we have a Facebook page, we have a Google Plus page we have a blog, the blog is still being filled up with stuff of uh, painting toy soldiers and playing through Kingdom Death, and uh, and uh, we'll be blogging about the UK Games Expo. Um, also, if you want to listen to New World of Darkness stuff, which we won't be reviewing Beast on there for for any time soon, is Network Zero, uh, Network Zero, which is a spin-off. Uh, there is also, of course, our friends over at Midnight Express that people should go listen to. I can't remember what the most recent episode was, but they've covered certain wonderful werewolf books uh, about Australia, I think. Was that right? Um... I think so. I don't recall them doing Rage Across Australia, but their most recent episode was um, The Skinner. Oh, right. Well, that should be a laugh. Um, Surprisingly uh, fantastic. Well, not surprising because they're a great podcast, but it's a great episode. Yeah. Uh, And um, as always, a shout because they do some good stuff as well, is uh, Full Metal RPG. I think at some point they'll be doing some more uh, World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness stuff. Uh, Have I missed anything? 
No. No. I think that's everything. Um, so that's it. That's the that's your episode of Dark Days Radio. So uh, good night. Sleep tight and don't let the beasts bite. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you guys.